Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe, Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. On 12th of June 2018, the world witnessed a peace summit between two long-feuding leaders, the United States President Donald Trump and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. While the meeting was unprecedented, did it deliver anything worthwhile or was it just a glorified photo op? Joining me to discuss this epochal event of great significance, the likes of which, frankly, the world has never seen, is Dr. Michael Cohen, Senior Lecturer at the National Security College Crawford School of Public Policy at the ANU College of Asia and the Pacific. He is the author of When Proliferation Causes Peace, The Psychology of Nuclear Crises. Thank you for joining me, Michael. Great to be here. Thanks, Matt. So if you could start by giving me a bit of context, uh, historically post-Korean War, how has the relationship between the United States and North Korea been? Yeah, so those relations have been quite tense. The war was never formally resolved. Uh, there was an armistice, but that's not the same as a formal end to the war. And so tensions have been anywhere from cool to lukewarm to occasionally quite tense, uh, really since 1953. This is why uh, the North are so keen to have a peace treaty that they can sort of if not draw down their forces, then redirect some of their efforts to their desperately struggling economy. Mm. This is one of the many reasons of why there was a peace summit. And previously to this administration, there's been a reluctance to engage with them on this level, hasn't there been? Yeah, indeed. This is the first sitting US president to sitting North Korea summit ever. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, so there have been cases of back-channel uh, negotiations between the US and the North. But the handshake was always going to come after certain concessions had been made by the North. And the US was never satisfied, so the handshake never occurred. In this case, Trump has given the handshake really for very, very little. But to get back to your question, one of the reasons that Washington has gone out of its way not to do this is because it gives a level of legitimacy, not only to North Korea, which the US is still at war with, but since the early 90s, also North Korea's nuclear program, it sends a signal to the Iran's and the Libya's and other potential nuclear powers, and true, there aren't many, but there are a few, mm. that if you can sort of navigate your way through the sanctions and the coercive threats and the regional insecurity and double down on your nuclear program, yes, you actually can secure a meeting with a sitting US president. That's a really dangerous lesson that Washington's really been wary to send. And this is why President Bush and then Clinton and then Bush and then Obama all avoided doing it. So Trump having now done it before and Trump's made a big point that he is taking a meeting that nobody else tried to or could do in the past. I guess he's right in more ways than one there. Yeah. So those four presidents and others, mm. I mean, really, the North Korea problem has been a nuclear problem since the early 90s. So really since, you know, late Bush, early Clinton, because having a meeting with Kim sort of sends a signal that, yes, you can get our attention if you persist with your nuclear weapons. Mm. And by meeting with them, how would you expect them to give those things away when you've already signaled to them that if they persist with them, they can have your attention? Those two things kind of work against each other. But is there a reality that they do currently have the nuclear capability to warrant being taken this seriously? Yeah, so there is something to that. So where can they get with their nukes now, in theory? It's contested and much depends on what intelligence you have access to and how you interpret that intelligence. The growing consensus is that they're on the cusp of having a survivable nuclear deterrent. So you basically need three things. You need a warhead, small enough to fit on a missile. You can't sort of attach it to a donkey. You have to sort of fit it on a missile. And you need that missile to be able to leave Earth's atmosphere and then sort of deliver it on a target. Mm. The US Defense Intelligence Agency last August concluded that 
Kim has reached that threshold of miniaturizing a warhead. You can see pictures on the internet of, of Kim and his associates sort of smiling and pointing at something that looks like a crystal ball from Lord of the Rings. You yeah, know, so yeah. That's basically them signaling, yes, we've miniaturized it now. Um, now, obviously, who knows what that ball was, but there's a growing consensus that, yes, indeed, they've done that. Mm. They've tested a 100 to 200 kiloton yield hydrogen bomb. They have got ICBMs that can leave Earth's atmosphere. There's still some debate about two things. It's far from clear whether once that missile with the warhead in it leaves Earth's atmosphere, it can actually re-enter. So you've probably seen those Apollo 13 and, and related films where if the missile comes in too steep, it just burns up. Burns up, yeah. And if it comes in too shallow, it bounces off. Yeah. It has yeah. to come in at the right angle to penetrate Earth's atmosphere. But there's extremely hot temperatures and you need complex synthetic materials in the missile to ensure it doesn't disintegrate as it comes in. Not sure the North Koreans have got there. Okay, okay. But the consensus is they're very, very close. Yeah, enough to get Japan worried. They've been able to inflict a lot of damage on South Korea for decades. Sure. They don't need nukes for that. It's certainly enough to get Japan worried. Yeah. But the clincher, of course, is Trump Tower or, mm. or the United States. The latest missile, I think, could actually hit anywhere in the US. Yeah. If they can get the re-entry and the navigation systems worked out. Right. Is that enough now to bring them to the party table? It's giving them a capability to reliably target the U.S. with nuclear weapons. They're not there yet, but they're getting close. Mm. And you can say that, yes, you know, Obama didn't have to deal with this. George W. Bush didn't have to deal with this. And that's true. And Trump, you know, we can criticize Trump all we want, but he didn't make this problem. He was handed this problem, Mm -hmm. as all the other U.S. presidents were as well. And you can argue that maybe the Korean War should have ended decades ago. I mean, it's just sort of silly, you know, why not just end the thing? I mean, Mm. you know, the Vietnam War ended... So why not end the Korean War? The challenge is that if Trump could have got something from Kim after meeting with him, that would have been a bit different. So, I mean, right now, Kim sort of got a meeting for really nothing, like a commitment to denuclearize. But Kim understands that term totally differently from the way the US and its allies do. Mm. Well, um, can, we, can we get to the, sorry, outcome, yeah. the outcome in a second? I just want to yeah. uh, get a sense of what did you think about the summit itself? Was it pageantry? Uh, there seemed to be a very close relationship between Trump and Kim as an outcome which is a bit strange given the abrasive nature of the G7, which Trump was at immediately beforehand, and, and then he's there palling around with Kim. So what, what did you think of the whole? Yeah, there certainly was an element of that. I mean, Trump loves that movie or, or teaser trailer, whatever you want to call it, that he gave Kim. That, that's President Trump. But I think he really does want to try and secure some achievements here for a bunch of reasons. One, part the US is threatened by North Korea. Two, he's got some really nasty domestic concerns Stormy Daniels, his lawyer, who actually has the same name as me. Let me just, I'm not his lawyer. And various things like that. And he'd love to be able to go into an election in a few years' time and say, look, I've achieved what no one else has done. I think this may also be why he sort of cancelled the summit, then rescheduled the thing again. I'm not sure exactly what he thought. He must have at least spent some time thinking through what he can get the North Koreans to actually do for him. Whereas if it was just all about show, the summit wouldn't have stopped and started again, I would have thought. And what are your thoughts on what actually came out of the summit, the signed agreement? The US didn't seem to walk away with a lot. Yeah, very bare bones. I'd agree with that. As I said before, Kim gave a commitment to denuclearize, but denuclearize in North Korea means the US winding down its nuclear influence, if not its influence and relationship with South Korea from the Korean Peninsula. Mm. Whereas for the US and its allies, it's about North Korea actually getting rid of its nuclear weapons. Yeah. And there was no concrete commitment of how this would play out anyway. Indeed. And there seemed to be off the signing concessions from Trump, at least. I mean, there was a commitment to 
not have joint exercises with South Korea? Yeah, and he said they're very, very costly. That's not true. They're not that costly, and the South Koreans foot the bill for a lot of that. But certainly it's something the North Koreans and the Chinese don't like. The thing that really will get everyone's attention, including the Chinese, is Trump basically saying, look, I want to bring the troops home. They are expensive, although, again, South Korea does foot the bill for a lot of that, but it's a big cost to the U.S. Mm. And the question that we have to ask ourselves then is if U.S. troops leave the Korean Peninsula, where does that leave the alliance? I mean, obviously, they can be brought back, but because it's hard to imagine a way this ends without North Korea keeping at least some nuclear weapons, yes, maybe North Korea gets rid of none, maybe they get rid of some, but it's hard to imagine them getting rid of everything. Yeah, and denuclearization is something that they've committed to many times before, and it's never something that's eventuated. Yeah, for all sorts of reasons. Mm. And so to get back to what I was talking about before, the alliance, if Trump takes US troops away and South Korea is facing nuclear North Korea that occasionally threatens the South in various ways, you can imagine that would push the South, if the US troops aren't going to be brought back, to maybe think about its own nuclear deterrent, which I think public opinion in South Korea for was, I think, 66% before the 2017 spate of weapons, missile, and and, and two nuclear tests. Right. Um, So potentially higher now. Certainly plausible. I mean, the way I'd explain it is that if the US troops leave the Korean Peninsula, A South Korean nuclear weapon is one solution to a bunch of new problems, or at least problems that haven't reared their head for a long time. Mm. So I don't want to sort of say, yes, they'll do that, but it's certainly, you'd want to be worried about that. Can I ask you about Trump's attitude after the summit then? He spoke in very glowing terms, not just about Kim Jong-un as a person, but the power that Kim Jong-un had over his people. What was your thoughts about that? His, His entire attitude towards Kim was very strange. Trump is just very idiosyncratic and it's hard to know what he's going to be thinking and doing from one moment to the next and he thinks that's to his credit it's hard to sort of make credible assurances when you sort of back and forth like that but he said that you know Kim's people love him and I wish my people loved me like that he's even sort of hinted that maybe it might be nice if the US could have sort of one more permanent leader or I don't remember what his exact words were but at one point he was like you know maybe at one point we'll move to a situation like China and Russia where we have you know one leader in power for a long time. So Trump has, you can call it what you want, narcissism, autocratic tendencies. He really wants that kind of respect and subservience. Yeah. So is your opinion that as a result of this, there's some sort of closer relationship between North Korea and the US, but do you feel that the region is closer to war? Do you see a war scenario coming out of this? I'm not sure that I'd say North Korea is closer in relation to the US. I mean, certainly hostilities have stopped. And there's been some handshaking and some back padding. That's nice. But Trump hasn't dropped US sanctions yet. North Korea really hasn't committed anything. I'd be wanting to see concrete concessions by both sides before I'd be more confident saying they're actually warmer. Then related to that, one of the dangers of nuclear war, and there's all sorts of ways that can be brought about, but I think one of the most important ones to think through now is if Trump or Kim stall, if Trump does not take away the sanctions or reinstitutes these military training with the South, or Kim doesn't make any concessions on denuclearization, Trump and Kim, in both of those scenarios, will both kind of feel played. Mm. And they might think, well, maybe if I authorize a limited use of force, that'll compel my negotiating partner back to the negotiating table. But it's very easy on the Korean Peninsula, given how weak Kim is, for Kim to conclude that any sort of bloody nose strike, as Trump is fond of saying, may actually be a prelude to a larger invasion. Under those consequences, Kim goes to nuclear war and he goes to nuclear war very quickly. Ditto, if Kim sort of tries to bring Trump back, he shells some islands or tries to attack Guam or something, 
Trump would have to be sure that this is just a limited use of force. One of the dangers underlying all of this is that North Korea is so weak that in any conflict, North Korea escalates to nuclear weapons very quickly. So if there is another war on the Korean Peninsula, which I really hope there won't be, it will not be like the first one where it was three years on again, off again, sort of protracted conflict. North Korea will go nuclear and North Korea will go nuclear very quickly. Yeah. If there's conflict, which I hope there's not. Yeah, but it sounds like uh, we've got the right two leaders of these two countries to push it in that way if it's going to get pushed. You've got two very dominant personalities who don't seem that they would back down. Yeah, but at least in Kim's defence, I mean, if you or I were in his place, we'd have similar incentives. Mm. Just because his regime and military, yes, it's large, but it's so weak that anyone in Kim's position is going to have incentives in a conflict to use nukes quickly to try and stall, to sort of roll the dice, gamble for resurrection and stall any US invasion. Trump is a bit different. You'd think that he'd be more likely to authorize a bloody nose strike than, say, Obama. But if Clinton was in power, who knows where things would be? Mm. I can imagine no Clinton-Kim summit, but I can imagine bellicose threats, demands, limited uses of force, and who knows how that would have gone. Yeah. So, hard to say. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe, Asia. You can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, and please leave a review. And you can follow La Trobe, Asia on Twitter. We are at La Trobe, Asia. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening. <laughs>